Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to another podcast episode. We're so happy you're joining us from wherever you're joining us all around this glorious world. It's true. It is such an honor to um, have you listen, and we hope and pray it's a blessing to you. And the crazy technology that allows us to do it. We kind of take it for granted, but yeah, here we special. are. We're sitting in my home office in Pennsylvania, and we're reaching people literally on all corners of the earth. Mm. Why do we say corners of the earth? The earth is a sphere. It's true. There is some reason for it. Didn't you hear oh, Scott yeah, Hahn yeah, yeah, gave yeah. a talk on that, right? You, yeah. you might have even mentioned it on a podcast episode. I'm thinking you that's did. That's right. That the, that's Thank you, Wendy. Yeah. This is totally ad-lib. We weren't playing on this, but since we went here, we'll keep going. That's right. I read a book by Scott Hahn, I don't remember, like just within the last couple of years, in which he said, we get that expression Scott, if you're listening, I, I'm hoping I'm getting this right. We get this expression from li the liturgical idea that the whole world is an altar. Mm. And the four corners of the earth refer to the four corners of the altar. And that all the earth is meant to become a living offering to the Lord. I like that. Yeah. It's pretty dang cool. Yeah, so wherever you are on our spherical earth, may you make your life an offering on that there altar. It is. Okay. I like it. Yeah. Do you have any updates for us from the TOB Institute? Yes, I promoted in our last episode the slate of summer courses, which you can still check out on the link below. But what I want to encourage you to consider this time is coming with us on an exciting pilgrimage. At the end of August, we are going to Fatima first. We're going to talk about Our Lady of Fatima and the connection with the theology of the body and the error of Russia that Our Lady of Fatima said would spread around the world. But in the end, her Immaculate Heart will triumph. My brothers and sisters, we are living through this now. That's what we're living through, the error of Russia. I'll explain this much more in the teaching on the pilgrimage. The error of Russia concerns the total obliteration of the difference between man and woman, which is going on in the world right now. We're living through it now, and the antidote to that error of Russia is John Paul II's Theology of the Body. We're going to be unpacking all of this on our pilgrimage to Fatima, and then from Fatima, we're going to be following in the footsteps of St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila when we go to Spain. So we're combining these two Theology of the Body pilgrimage to Fatima and to Spain. I'll just say this briefly about John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila. You cannot understand the theology of the body in its full breadth without recognizing that it comes from the influence that John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila had on St. John Paul II. That's what we're going to be unpacking when we follow in their footsteps the pilgrimage is, I uh, don't have the exact dates off the top of my head, but you can look at the link below. It's the, the last week of August into the first week of September. There are still some spots left. Consider coming with us. You will not regret it. And if you're thinking to yourself, man, I'd love to go, but I, how am I going to get off work? How am I going to afford that? Well, put it as an intention in the womb of the Blessed Mother. That's what I always say to people. 
put it right in Our Lady of Fatima's womb as an intention, and if she wants you to go, I've had this happen to countless pilgrims when I've suggested they do that. Things can line up. If the Lord wants you to go, Mary can make it happen. So consider mm. it, put it in her womb, and maybe we'll see it in Spain and Fatima. Are you ready for a question? I am. Let's do it. Our first question is from an anonymous patron who says, Dear Christopher and Wendy, thank you so much for opening your hearts in this podcast. So many of your answers have touched me so deeply. My question today focuses on loving and supporting a spouse who's hurting. My husband has a lot of childhood wounds stemming from an inappropriately close relationship with his mom and quite a few boundary violations. For years, he masked that pain with masturbation and pornography. I was so proud of him for conquering those sins early in our relationship. What has become clear, though, is that he has not been able to deal with the pain underneath or to really see himself as a precious child of God. Mm. Consequently, he's not able to see me as his equal. When the pain, vulnerability, or fear of rejection overwhelm him, he becomes abusive and tells me my dignity does not matter because he's in so much pain. Mm. I want to love him and help him to be confident in his identity as a child of God, but I also want to make it clear that dominating me is unacceptable. Do you have any practical advice on how to love him in these dark days? Thank you so much for your wisdom. Oh, wow. Wow. Bless you, dear listener. I am amazed right off the bat here at the insight that you have into these dynamics. Clearly, you've, you've done a lot of reading or you've been in counseling or spiritual direction yourself that has helped you to understand some of the roots of this pain. I know so many couples, and I've interacted with so many couples over the years who have these painful dynamics in their lives, and they have little to no understanding of where they come from. And I believe you are you are right to recognize that the domination that he exhibits in your marriage comes from these wounds, uh, at least in part, and I'd even surmise to a large part, they come from this wounded relationship with his own mother. I remember just with, within like six or seven months ago, you and I, Wendy, were going through a, a painful thing where I felt threatened by your difference. Uh, it was, it was a, an argument we were having about a project in our backyard, and you wanted it one way, and I didn't want to go that way, and I felt threatened, and, and I started wanting to dominate the situation, mm. dominate what was going to happen. We're, I don't want to do it this way. We're going to do it this way. And whenever that goes on, I know I have to look at that. I said, okay, Lord, where's this coming from? My wife is not trying to dominate me. Why am I trying to dominate her? And uh, yeah, I remember taking that to prayer, and it took me to, to some memories of my own childhood where I felt threatened and you know, you live in a world that seeks to dominate, and you're, you know, it's kind of like the whole reality in this fallen world is one big game of king of the hill. Mm. Who's on top? You know, who's going to control and dominate the other? If, and if you're not on top, 
you're going to be dominated. That is the paradigm from hell. <laughs> this is not who God is. The God, the Lord of all, says, I've come not to be served, but to serve. The God of all does not dominate, but he, oh my gosh, the humility of God. Mm. The humility of God that he allows the creature to dominate him by nailing him to a cross in order to save us from the paradigm of domination. How does God save us from this hellish paradigm of the king of the hill, the, you know, who's on top, one dominating the other? He saves us from it by submitting himself to our crazed, fallen demand for power. Think of, think of Pilate before Jesus. Do you not realize that I have the power to crucify you or release you? And Jesus' response, you'd have no power over me if it weren't granted by my Father in heaven. He's accepting this tyranny of Pilate, absorbing it in order to save Pilate from that paradigm. Hmm. My dear sister, this is the way. This is the way of salvation. Uh, this and, and I got to be so careful here. There are there are abusive situations where, out of self protection, uh, a woman needs to withdraw from it, even to the point of getting a legal certificate of divorce for her own protection. Absolutely, absolutely. And you recognize this already by saying, "How can I? How can I explain to my husband? I I am not." How did she say that? I'm, I'm not meant to be... That uh, dominating me is unacceptable. Yes, dominating you is unacceptable. You are absolutely right. Dominating you is unacceptable. And there is a time and a place to stand up for your own sense of self, your own dignity, and say, this is unacceptable. This is not appropriate. There's also a time and a place, not in a kind of mousy way, not in a being a doormat kind of way. But in following the lead of the Holy Spirit, there is a time and a place to absorb the pain that your husband is causing you in his acting out from his own pain, and to open that pain that he's causing you as intercession that he would be saved from his pain. This is the mystery of redemption. You know, it's, it's it, without the mystery of redemption, without the paschal mystery of, of Christ dying on the cross and rising from the dead, all we have is, is king of the hill, right? You, you're either you're on top or I'm going to be on top and I'm going to dominate you. Someone has to say in that I punch you and you punch me back world, somebody had to, to stop the cycle. Somebody has to be willing to say, I will absorb the punch and return love for your lack thereof. I will return love for your lack thereof. That is Christ on the cross saying, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. So, dear sister, again, there's some important truths to balance here. I just I'll reiterate it. 
I'm not saying that you're supposed to be a doormat and just take all this. There is a time and a place to stand up for your own dignity and say, no, I'm not meant to be treated this way. Absolutely. And follow the Spirit's lead on that. The Spirit will lead you to say that in the right way, in the right time, in the right manner. But the Spirit will also be leading you at the same time, in, in a certain sense, to absorb His pain, not as a doormat, but as an intercessor. To absorb His pain and offer it to the Father united with Jesus. That's how redemption is won. Let me also clarify that, that being someone's intercessor, taking that role of, of Christ on the cross, forgive them, they know not what they do, and offering that to the Father, that, that does not mean that you are to be that person's Savior, right? We are called to be working with Jesus for the salvation of others, but that doesn't mean we take on a role as Savior. And be, because these are... These dynamics are so sensitive in a marriage, it's, uh, it can be really, really important to, to find proper counseling, proper marriage coaching. Um, Wendy, do you, do you have any thoughts along these lines? Yeah, I, I do think you have a real gift in your ability to describe what you're seeing to us. I don't know how much your husband is able to hear that um, from you, and but I think it would be really good in a non-heated moment to explore some of these things you're seeing with your husband um, in a way that includes all the compassion and love that you've communicated in this question, you know, that he could also see that that would be the place you're coming from in, in calling him to seek further healing here calling someone to seek healing isn't a rejection. It's an affirmation that you are worthy of the extra effort to be more fully who God made you to be and an expression of the genuine help that we're created to be as spouses, to be a true help on this journey of faith that we're on. So I, I would just encourage you in... Um, in your prayer to ask the Lord to show you how you can better talk about these things with your husband and seek help together. And I would add that commending your husband to the Blessed Mother is going to be critical in all of this. The way we heal from those mother wounds is by being truly and properly mothered. And the true and proper mother ultimately for each and every one of us is Mary. Commend your husband daily to her care. Uh, ask for her intercession for him. Place him even, you know, in your, in your spirit, in your prayer. Place him in the Blessed Mother's womb. Place him as an infant at the Blessed Mother's breast and, in, and invite. And this is a place of, of intercession for him. And the purpose of the image is... is really to, to help you to pray for him there, to recognize what his needs are there. He needs, deep in his soul, because he has received sour milk, so to speak, from his earthly mother, he needs to receive that pure spiritual milk from his blessed mother. St. Peter says in his letter 
that we are to yearn for pure spiritual milk. Your husband, whether he would know to articulate this or not, he is yearning for pure spiritual mother's milk. And that only comes from his pure spiritual mother, Mary. As his intercessor, you can place him, like place his infant self, place that infantile need that he has. And I say infantile not in a derogatory sense, but we all have these deep, deep human needs that go back to our infancy. Place him as an infant in your prayer at the breast of the Blessed Mother, and just pray that pure spiritual milk into his soul. And I'll just add this. This is always a caveat. Everybody who listens to our podcast knows that our announcer says Wendy and Christopher are, are not counselors. We, I just want to say that again. We, we're not counselors. We're coming at this uh, not from a place of, of counseling or th- as therapists. We're coming at it as, for me, I'm a trained as a theologian and a, a theology professor. <laughs> and, of course, we have our own life experience as husband and wife being married for many years. So we bring all that to bear. But this is one of those situations where real counseling uh, may be and probably is necessary. So please make use of the counselors that we recommend in the show notes. Our next question is from a listener named Letty. Hello, Letty. Hello. I've wondered for years why it is that God would have made men to be more susceptible to sexual sin, especially with prostitution and pornography. I know some of the reasons biologically, but why in God's wisdom would he create them this way? How does this fit into his plan? Bless you, Letty. Uh, that's uh, that's an, an interesting angle on a question. I, I'm reminded of Christ's words, which are so important here. Just based on the way you worded it, I, I have to say, God did not create us this way. Right? What you're describing is the result of the fall. Right? And Christ says, when the Pharisees come to him to question him about divorce, and they say, well, Moses allowed us to divorce our wives, and Jesus says, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. And then here is the critical line. Oh, my Lord, if the modern world could enter into the truth of this next line, it would solve so many of our problems. It's so true. In the beginning, it was not so. In the beginning, it was not so. How many times do we have people in the modern world to justify their sin will say, God made me this way, or I was born this way, and that is the end the you know, they're trying to, the implication, that's the word I was looking for, the implication there is God made me this way. Christ's words here are so critical. In the beginning, it was not so. What does this tell us? There was an original creation, a glorious, beautiful, holy, harmonious, naked, without shame creation in which men and women, man and woman, were shining with all the glory of God perfectly, without any hint of disharmony, discord, or dysfunction. In the beginning, it was not so. Christ is pointing us back to the beginning as the original blueprint of our humanity before sin and disorder came into the world. So, Letty, 
what what you are looking for, or the only way to answer your question, Letty, is to go back to the beginning. And in the beginning, man is created, this is a, a, a one way of saying it, man is created to initiate the gift, right? If you look at the theology of a man's body, it is the man who gives the seed. It is the woman who receives the seed. We see written right into the anatomy of a man this call to say to the woman, in initiating the gift of love, this is my body given up for you. And if that is given with purity and sincerity, the woman is designed in her very being to long to be loved in that way and to open to that and receive that and to say, and we could say this is the theology of femininity at its, at its depth, let it be done unto me according to your word of love, your word of love, right? That's when there is no hint of domination on the part of the man, no hint of disorder in the desire of the woman for the man. This was harmonious, and that harmony is indicated by this key line from Genesis, they were naked and felt no shame. Mm. That nakedness without shame, John Paul II tells us, is the indication that they are living in perfect harmony with God. They are living in perfect harmony within themselves, between their bodies and their souls. They are living in perfect harmony with one another, and they're living in perfect harmony with the whole created world. When we read that after sin, shame comes into the world, this is, this is the screech across the record. Um, maybe that image doesn't work anymore for people who didn't grow up with records. Um, what would be another image? Imagine being, imagine being at uh, some 3D movie with a glorious soundtrack where you're, you're in this garden of, of delights when everything is in harmony, the birds are singing in unison with the symphony of, of love between man and woman, the colors are vibrant, everything's in 3D, the music is glorious, your body and soul's being lifted to heaven, and then all of a sudden during this movie, there's this clap and and it collapses into a 2d dimmed black and white blurry movie of the same images with a grating soundtrack hmm. that's an image of shame entering the world that's an image of the collapse of that original harmony from within that collapse we can make sense of virtually nothing this is why Jesus refers us back to the beginning. So I just want to I, I just want to say it loudly and clearly, Letty. God did not make men with a, a heightened inclination to, to sexual sin. Right? That is the result of the fall. But what is the fall? This is so important. I've said it many, many times on this podcast, I'm sure. If you're familiar with my books, if you're familiar with my teaching, you've heard me say it. This is critical. The devil does not have his own clay. All the enemy can do is get his hands on God's good clay and twist it, distort it. So this proclivity, this heightened uh, temptation to, to, excuse me, to sexual sin in men, and 
I want to be careful there too, because it's it's not that women don't also experience their own brand of sexual temptation. They certainly do. John Paul II is very clear on this. There are there are differences in the way men and women experience sexual temptation. There's plenty of overlap, uh, but there are distinctions to be made. But it doesn't just because men's sexual sins might be more out there, just like his anatomy, by the way, uh, and it's mm-hmm. all connected, and a woman's sexual sins might be more interior, just like her anatomy, this does not mean her sexual sins are somehow less damaging. In some ways, they're even more damaging because they're more subtle or, or, or more hidden. Uh, yes, it, I think it is fair to say Generally speaking, men's sexual sins are more out there, more obvious. Uh, But again, it doesn't mean they're worse. It's just that's the particular brand of sin that the male has inherited. But again, in the beginning it was not so. And what is being twisted here, the good clay that has been twisted here, is that outward reality of the masculine call to make that gift of self. All of this is redeemed in Jesus Christ, who was nailed to a tree naked, uh, and he endured the cross heedless of its shame. It's a critical line from the book of Hebrews. He endured the cross heedless of its shame. He is facing Adam's shame. He is swallowing Adam's shame. Here is a naked man nailed to a tree. It was a tree that caused the original Adam's fall, And it's a tree that brings about Adam's redemption. And the new Adam faces this shame heedlessly, absorbs it, is put into the ground, and is raised on the third day a new Adam. And it says right in the scriptures that he leaves the grave clothes behind. What is this an indication of? The new Adam is coming out of a garden. He was planted in a garden, right? Christ was buried in a garden. All of this symbolism is critical. Buried in a garden, and he comes out of the soil of this garden naked without shame. A new Adam restored in the full glory of humanity. And he says, follow me. Follow me. Men can experience, not that we will do so perfectly in this world, But we're on a path to the resurrection of the body where we are destined in Christ and with Christ to be restored in the full glory and even beyond the glory of the beginning. We we are given more in the redemption than what we had in the beginning. And this restoration is an invitation to become again the man who can say through the theology of his body, with all sincerity, with all purity, in union with God, in un- in the union of body and soul, in union with the mystery of woman, and in union with the mystery of all creation, restoring all that was lost with the fall. The man is called in Jesus Christ to learn how to say again, this is my body given up for you. All of this is contained in St. Paul's admonition to husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I could say so much more. There's so much more to say, but for the sake of time, I'll leave it there. A takeaway for me from all you said, and it's really powerful, was the part when you were talking about 
the harmonies in the beginning, a harmony between man and God, the harmony between body and soul, and the harmony between man and woman. It just and really, the harmony with all creation. That's and the all creation. One. Sorry, forgot That's that right. that last harmony. But it just spoke to me of kind of a way to verbalize that longing of all of our hearts of Letty as she looks at the suffering that's caused by some of the sins that she was naming there. The longing for that not to be the case, that suffering not to happen, um, is like a way to put that in words in our prayers, to pray for God's harmony to be restored. And for those of us who are struggling in a particular way with our fallenness, to ask the Lord to restore harmony harmony in my that my love for you lord would be full of trust in the goodness of your plan that i would truly pray in the our father your kingdom come your will be Amen. done because i'm Woo. in harmony with that Woo-hoo. i love your plan lord you know and and to pray for that harmony within ourselves which is so disturbing when we aren't in that beautiful harmony that was planned for us so to beg the Lord for that in our lives uh, and to pray for harmony in our relations with the opposite sex, with all people, that that the Lord would restore or give us a taste and give us hope for that which he intends for us. Amen. That You're so right, Wendy. That line from the Our Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that is the prayer for the restoration of those harmonies we were speaking of. And this is where we're headed. The longing for that, John Paul II calls the echo of the beginning that we all feel in our hearts, and we can also say it's the premonition of our future resurrection when the harmonies will be restored. This is not some pie-in-the-sky thing. This is our destiny. This is the trajectory. This is where we are headed. The good news of the gospel is that Christ came into the world to restore creation to the purity of its origins. And guess what? What he did worked. Mm. This means we have the possibility, St. John Paul II says, of reclaiming the entire truth of our being. That's the journey of the Christian life. We're never going to do that in this life. We'll never reach the full harmonies in this life, in this world. But Christ will come again, and the kingdom of heaven, heaven and earth will become united, one and the same. That's the trajectory. Lord, increase our desire for this and let it become our deepest prayer. Amen. Amen. Our next question is from a listener named Julia. Hi, Julia. Thank you so much for this beautiful podcast. I was listening to a recent episode in which you briefly mentioned that you both at a time struggled with desiring a baby, but not becoming pregnant. Can you delve into your experience further. My husband and I are in this season of life. We recently lost our first child, oh, bless you. our son, bless you. to a terminal diagnosis when he was born in January. Oh, mercy. We're very much desiring another child, but so far have not become pregnant. With our son, we became pregnant immediately after we were married, so we're now navigating the waiting for this. How can my husband and I grow closer to one another in love and remain hopeful, even though every cycle that we don't conceive, it's almost like another loss. And I, as a woman, feel like a failure since I haven't conceived another baby. Bless you. 
Julia, these are such deep waters in the human heart. I just want to reverence what you're experiencing, honor it. Uh, as, I, as I lift you up in prayer, even in this very moment, Julia, I see the Lord with cupped hands, and he's holding your heart in his hands. Mm. And he knows its rhythm. He knows its, its heartbeat. He knows its longings. He knows its desires. And I hear just kind of an echoing, I have your heart in my hands. Trust me. Trust your heart to my hands. Trust your heart to my healing hands. And uh, gosh, even just right in the moment as I'm thinking of this, I, I'm seeing your heart is bleeding. And the blood is now mingling with the wounds of Jesus's hands, the, the nail wounds in his hands. And his blood and your blood, your bleeding heart and the blood from his mm. nail wounds are becoming mingled, one in the same blood. And now I'm seeing, <laughs> keep going. Now I'm seeing that that blood, the mingling of your blood with his blood, it's like dripping on a globe, like it's dripping on the world. Mm. And it's fertile. It's fertile for the world. There's this remarkable line in Scripture that we don't usually know what it means, so we just kind of tuck it away and don't pay it much attention, but where Scripture says, More are the children of the barren woman than of she who bore children. What, what does that mean? It's pointing us, I believe, to a spiritual fecundity, a spiritual fertility, a fertility of another dimension. And I think, just as I was praying for you, Julia, right in the moment, uh, that's what that image means. Our spiritual fertility comes by uniting our sufferings with the sufferings of Christ for the whole world. That is fertile. That is fertile beyond our wildest imaginings. And I, I'm saying this not just to be some kind of false comfort, but to be the truest comfort that every time you and your husband come together and throw open your bodies to the Lord and giver of life, the Holy Spirit, and this is what a husband and wife are meant to be doing every time they come together in their union. They're meant to be saying, Lord and giver of life, come to our marriage bed. Be part of this union. The Holy Spirit blows where he wills. And it doesn't mean he, he necessarily wills. In fact, clearly, he does not will that every marital embrace result in a child. I mean, couples would have hundreds of children. That's not what he wills. But he does will that each and every marriage act would be fertile in its own way. So know, know, know it in your heart. Your marital embrace is always fertile in that deeper way. I'm reminded also of the story of one of our students who has shared this publicly, and so it's okay that I share it publicly as well. She has struggled uh, throughout the course of their marriage to conceive, has never conceived, and every time her cycle comes... Her body bleeds, of course, and she sheds tears. This is one of the most profound things I've ever heard. She came to realize every month the theology of her body, 
that her body was shedding blood and water. Blood and water, the tears and the menstrual flow. Blood and water, blood and water, blood and water. Those signs are the signs of the fertility of Calvary. Blood and water, blood and water, blood and water. Dear sister, dear sister, I remember, and, and I want to hand it over to you, Wendy, in just a moment, because women experience this in one way, husbands experience this in another way, but I remember those months that went on for almost three years for us of not conceiving and trying regularly to conceive and knowing when you were fertile, and, and I remember those tears that you would shed, and I didn't have the insight at the time to know the, the, the blood and the water of your own body as my wife was, was speaking into that mystery in that profound way. But I, I, I did have a spiritual sense of it, even though I didn't quite connect it in that way. But I can look back at that time, and it was a time of learning for me as a husband. It was a time of learning the contours of your heart as a woman, Wendy. Because mm-hmm. you, you bore that in a way that was... I, I don't mean this in a in a in an alienating way, but it was it was sounds too strong a word. It wasn't quite this, but it was in some ways foreign to me the way you were going through that every month. Again, foreign not in an alienating way, but in a in a way that that put in bright relief the differences of the male and the female heart, and it became an opportunity. And I remember various ways that that you and I worked this out in our in our month-to-month experience, it became an opportunity for, for me to understand you and for you to understand me and for us to find the complementarity of our differences. Not that it was all sunshine and roses. There were some struggles there and difficulties. But right in the struggle and the difficulty was the invitation from Jesus to, to enter into each other's hearts in deeper ways. Yeah, that's true. It is a, a very powerful experience of recognizing that we are creatures and we don't have all the power and control that we wish we had. And I, I keep feeling drawn back to the loss of this firstborn child in, in this story, Julia, just your son, um, and feeling that that is a unique suffering, not one that you and I, Christopher, have not experienced. Um, And I just feel a certain pause that even the words you used that you feel like a failure in not having conceived. I feel like it could be, I do not want to say that I think there's some reason you haven't conceived that I'm seeing what that is. I, I certainly don't. But when you are accepting what is given when you have a posture of receptivity that what is given is that you have not conceived again yet and you you receive that and you accept that as here i i cannot control this i have to accept it and look for the lord's love for you in those circumstances i feel like one of the things that's coming up in your heart is a feeling of failure and whether that's connected to the loss of your firstborn child, 
it certainly would be understandable to have that feeling, even though it's not based in truth, but it's it's an understandable human feeling. If if it's the Lord is giving you time really to pray through the depths of those feelings and allow him to minister to you there and to shine some light into your hearts and a deepening of your trust in his goodness, his faithfulness to bring good out of all things, including great suffering. And that is a great suffering. Um, But there's no suffering that he doesn't want to use to show his faithfulness and his love. So that's all I can invite you to here is that all that Christopher said about understanding one another more, understanding the depth of God's faithfulness in terms of offering the the not conceiving to him to use in a fertile way in this world, in your hearts and throughout the world. I love that image that you had, Christopher, that in all of that, that you would come most of all to be more deeply trusting of God's goodness and perfect timing and that he is bringing out something wonderful out of this. That is our prayer. I just have to mention you're getting a little taste of our family life here because my son is right outside our home office mowing the yeah, lawn. Sorry if you're hearing the lawn mower. Sorry <laughs> if you're hearing our lawn mower as we're answering this question. Mm. Uh, I thought it was better just to keep going because we were in a in a groove there than to run outside and interrupt to have him stop mowing. Um, so sorry about that. I, I want to add this, Julia. There is that blood and water flowing, obviously that kind of fertility takes you into the Paschal mystery with Jesus. And that word failure, uh, I want to caution on the one hand, but I, I also want to invite you to recognize the, the powerful victory that comes out of failure united with Jesus. The crucifixion in one real sense was a failure. From all the sense I'm talking about the, is from the worldly perspective, right? What a total failure that the, the Savior of the world would be nailed to a cross. I mean, that's that was the interpretation that everybody was giving except maybe John at the foot of the cross, and of course Mary, whose faith was tried severely, but she never lost faith at the foot of the cross. The other disciples and the apostles ran. They thought they, they only had the worldly interpretation of that as total defeat. That's all they had. I invite you, as you wrestle with that sense of feeling failure, to unite that with the Paschal Mystery and wait to see with living hope how the Lord transforms that failure, put that in quotes, into the greatest victory, into the greatest victory. And victory in Christ is always fertile. It is always a life-giving victory. It was in that so-called failure of the cross that the marriage between Christ and the church was consummated and the church, Mary, symbolized by Mary at the foot of the cross, became the mother of all the living. Wow. Wow. We thank you, everyone, for tuning in this week. We ask you to share this episode with any th- anyone you think will be blessed by it. And until next time, know it, know it, know it, 
from your head to your toe, in the depths of your heart, in all of your wounds and fears and hopes and dreams, you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift of life and love. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.